You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. CISA releases an ICS security advisory affecting a smart facility system. Lockbit threatens to release Royal Mail data tomorrow. Flop ransomware expands to Linux-based systems. A vulnerability is identified in Toyota's GSPIMS. There's an ESXi ARGS update. New trackers and mitigation tools are available. Russia is running two new cyber espionage campaigns against Ukraine. Our guest is Roya Gordon from Nozomi Networks to discuss the ICS threat landscape. And the Washington Post's Tim Starks provides analysis on last night's State of the Union. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. We begin with a quick note for operators. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has released an industrial control system advisory for NOcean Smart Server, which is mostly used in smart buildings, smart city, and smart factory settings. Users should check their systems for vulnerable instances and apply the necessary updates and mitigations in accordance with the vendor's instructions. According to Computing, the Lockbit ransomware gang has run out of patience. The gang says it will release the data it took from the Royal Mail tomorrow if its ransom demands aren't met by then. Reuters reports that Royal Mail doesn't believe the stolen data contains any sensitive financial or personal information, which may be why the Royal Mail has so far hung tough on paying the ransom. Sentinel-1 reports that the operators of the CLOP ransomware have expanded their scope of their operation to include Linux systems, The executable and linkable format variant, that's ELF, is out and active in the wild. There's good news as well, however. The ELF executable contains a flawed encryption algorithm, making it possible to decrypt locked files without paying the ransom. And Bravo Sentinel-1, which has made the free decryptor available. Security researcher Eaton Works claims the ability to breach Toyota's global supplier preparation information management system, GSPIMS, 
which the company uses to manage its global supply chain, Bleeping Computer reports. EatonWorks explains that any user could be logged into just by knowing their email, completely bypassing the various corporate login flows. And they were able to gain full access to internal Toyota projects, documents, and user accounts, including user accounts of Toyota's external partners and suppliers. The researcher found that the user service would generate a JSON web token after simply entering an email address with no password. JWTs are session tokens used to validate authenticated users. They logged in by guessing a Toyota employee's corporate email address, then used this access to discover employees with more access. EatonWorks eventually gained full control over more than 14,000 users, as well as access to thousands of confidential documents. EatonWorks responsibly disclosed this issue to Toyota, and it was patched in November 2022. They note that they weren't offered a bug bounty for their efforts. We've heard a lot over the past week or so about the old, and we stress, patched issue in VMware's ESXi product, and the news continues to come. CISA and Security Scorecard have both developed tools to mitigate and track attacks by ESI ARGS ransomware. CISA has released a script that can, in some cases, rebuild virtual machines from flat files and recover data encrypted by ESXi ARGS. Bleeping Computer explains that the ransomware failed to encrypt flat files where the data for virtual disks are stored. CISA itself advised that the script was prepared on the basis of work by third-party researchers. Security Scorecard has published a report looking at potentially vulnerable ESXi servers and cases in which these servers have recently communicated with malicious IP addresses. They state, The IP address that appears most likely to reflect an attempt by a ransomware group to exploit this vulnerability is 161.47.17.28. They add that it not only appeared in all three of the ESXi traffic samples collected in response to the recent advisories, but also appeared in multiple previous strike team ransomware investigations. So continue to check your systems and update them as appropriate. Turning to Russia's war against Ukraine, researchers at Symantec have discovered a new Russian info stealer deployed against targets in Ukraine. They state... The Nodaria Espionage Group, also known as UAC-0056, is using a new piece of information-stealing malware against targets in Ukraine. The malware, infostealer.graphiron, is written in Go and is designed to harvest a wide range of information from the infected computer, including system information, credentials, screenshots, and files. In addition to being called UAC-0056, Nodaria has also been known as Saint Bear, UNC-2589, and TA-471. Symantec doesn't link Nodaria with any specific Russian intelligence or security service, but they do say it's been active at least since March of 2021. Nodaria has specialized in collecting against Ukrainian organizations, with possibly some work against Georgia and Kyrgyzstan, so call it an organization that's been active against the former Soviet republics of the near abroad. Its most prominent action has so far been the Whispergate wiper attack that hit Ukraine in January 2022. Nodaria's typical attack technique begins with spear-phishing emails 
but deliver a range of malicious payloads to the targets. Wherever Nodaria fits into the Russian services organization charts, Symantec thinks the group's range and level of activity probably makes it one of the key players in Russia's ongoing cyber campaigns against Ukraine. CERT-UA has issued a warning that Russian cyber espionage operators are using the legitimate remote management tool Remkos to establish a remote surveillance presence in its target's systems. It's a phishing expedition that casts a broad net with a mass distribution of emails, supposedly from JSC UKR Telecom, with the subject raising the threat of a court claim against the recipient and an attached RAR file that is surely up to no good. CERT UA attributes the activity to a threat actor it tracks as UAC 0050. And finally, last night, U.S. President Biden delivered the annual State of the Union address before both houses of Congress, members of the Supreme Court and everyone else in the galleries as well as those watching on TV or from, like any passing Chinese spy balloons. Connoisseurs of the presidential address genre found it surprisingly light on cybersecurity, but there were some points made that suggest the likely direction of U.S. cyber policy over the coming year. The president singled out, in particular, the challenge of enhancing online privacy and the importance of protecting children from exploitation by big tech. The president said, There should be clear and strict limits on the ability to collect, use, transfer, and maintain our personal data, especially for sensitive data such as geolocation and health information, and the burden must fall on companies, not consumers, to minimize how much information they collect. The speech augurs continued tough scrutiny for big tech, and President Biden named the target as such, asking Congress to pass bipartisan legislation to stop big tech from collecting personal data on kids and teenagers online, ban targeted advertising to children, and impose stricter limits on the personal data these companies collect on all of us. So, U.S. regulatory policy may assume a more prescriptive form in 2023. Stay tuned for my conversation with Tim Starks from The Washington Post Cybersecurity 202 and his analysis of the speech. Coming up after the break, our guest is Roya Gordon from Nozomi Networks discussing the ICS threat landscape. The Washington Post's Tim Starks provides analysis on last night's State of the Union. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Nozomi Networks recently published an OT-IoT security report titled A Deep Look into the ICS Threat Landscape. Roya Gordon is security research evangelist at Nozomi Networks. I do want to talk about a new part of the report that we added that um, hasn't been in any of our reports, and I think it's a big game changer. So, of course, we talk about the overall threat landscape. We talk about some statistics from our honeypots, you know, what um, they've collected from malicious IoT botnets. We talk about ICS cert advisories and we do analysis on those. But what we're sharing now that we haven't shared before are insights um, into our customer environments. So, you know, Nozomi Networks is technology that secures OT and IoT. And to kind of see What are the types of alerts our customers are getting? What are the types of intrusions? What are the types of malware that's targeting these environments? I think that's very beneficial for other critical infrastructure organizations to know. And um, yeah, that's kind of like the most exciting part about this report because, again, we've never shared this. And now we're able to, obviously... These are customers that volunteer for us uh, to share this information anonymously. But again, um, I think that's the best part of this report. Well, let's go through some of the details there. What are some of the things that your customers have been tracking? Yep. So there's a lot of different types of alerting that can go on in an IT, OT environment. And we try to catch all of them, right? Because maybe not everything is indicative of a cyber attack. So there's alerts on clear text passwords, weak passwords. You know, these are things we like to alert customers on because this is how, you know, threat actors access environment. So if they get in and they're stealing information, if you have clear text passwords or weak passwords, they could use this to their advantage. But there's other types of alerts like um, a TCP SIN flood. You know, and that's where the threat actor will flood a server with connection requests. That's indicative of a denial of service attack. There's different types of man in the middle attack alerts, um, UDP flood, which is uh, essentially the same thing, um, anomalous packets. So while there are possibly alerts that could be just legitimate employee error, that coupled with other alerts could be, you know, indicative of there's some malicious. Um, intent going on here. So we have all of the numbers over the past six months. So you can kind of put it into perspective of for OT environments, how many of these types of alerts organizations are seeing. And I think people can look at this and say, hey, 
it looks like there's a lot of man-in-the-middle attacks on critical infrastructure or this TCP sin flood thing is, is a pretty big deal. Let's see how we can remediate that. So that that's just one type of, um, you know, information that we shared. The other one is most commonly detected malware categories. And this is where we get into Trojans and remote access tools and DDoS malware and are they targeting IT, IoT, and OT? Um, and that gets pretty interesting. And, you know, we have those numbers in our report as well. Are there any uh, items here that, that were particularly surprising or unexpected that you were able to uncover? In the threat landscape part, you know, we talk about, you know, attacks on transportation and healthcare, but I think the biggest trend that stood out is hacktivists are now launching disruptive cyber attacks. So I've, you know, been in this field for a while. And every time we would look into disruptive attacks, the first threat actor we would look at would be nation state. You know, they're acting on the behalf of Russia, China, you know, Iran. And then we noticed that ransomware threat actors, you know, financially motivated threat actors, they were launching disruptive attacks. And even though the motives are different, you know, the impact is the same. So a ransomware threat actor, they don't really care. They just want money while a nation state threat actor is acting on the behalf of another country. But now we're noticing that hacktivists who traditionally did like data breaches and denial of service attacks, they're getting on the train of causing disruptive attacks on critical infrastructure. And I've seen that more now in 2022 than I have in previous years. And there's a couple of reasons for this. I've been getting asked this, like, well, why are hacktivists changing their tactics? Well, the availability of tools on the dark web, you know, so you no longer have to be super technical. You can just purchase network access and then purchase wiper malware and deploy it. And um, it's pretty easy. It's easily accessible. But the other reason is because these types of attacks make a bigger statement in the media. And that's what hacktivists want. They want awareness for their cause, awareness of why they're doing it. And if they're disrupting a train system, <laughs> obviously that's going to get them the media coverage that they're they're looking for. So um, kind of bracing myself to kind of see what these hacktivists do in 2023. Well, based on the information that you've gathered here, what are your recommendations for organizations to best defend themselves? Yep. So I always tell people, everyone, you know, when it comes to critical infrastructure, they want some super secret sauce um, recommendations. And a lot of the times it's like, no, things that you should have already been doing to secure your IT, you just got to keep doing that. If you look at a history of a lot of um, disruptive attacks, it was threat actors stole credentials because um, no one was monitoring if the employee was still working at the company or not or still needed that access. So, you know, access controls or not changing default passwords and default credentials, which... That's another part of the report where we actually have a list of credentials that malicious threat actors are using to access IoT devices. So make sure you're changing that. Um, make sure that you're keeping up with patching. And of course, we know it's difficult in OT environments to do that. But there's a lot of workarounds that you can implement while waiting for a patch day. But again, it's important to patch. It's important to check logs there's some tactics that these threat actors are using that's kind of living off the land. So 
They're using techniques that's going to, um, it's going to kind of blend in with a normal activity to where you, you may not get an alert, but if you're checking logs, then maybe you'll notice something is off. So, you know, there's a lot, obviously, threat intelligence. You have to know what IOCs you should be tracking, what's associated with malicious activity. So there's a lot of things that that organizations can do to protect themselves from these threats. That's Roya Gordon from Nozomi Networks. The research is titled A Deep Look into the ICS Threat Landscape. You can find a link in our show notes. And joining me once again is Tim Starks. He is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 over at the Washington Post. Tim, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. Could we do this? <laughs> so last night was the State of the Union from President Biden. Uh, always a chance for him to uh, roll out plans and aspirations uh, for the uh, coming year. Uh, before we dig into some of the cyber stuff that did or did not happen, what was your overall take on the State of the Union? You know, it was. Uh, if we're just talking about the the, the generalities of it, that you know, that was it was a pretty passionate speech by some standards of the ones that I've seen over the years, and and uh, you, you know, the, the there was a little bit more call and response than than uh, we've seen in past years. I mean, you, uh, others have pointed it out that it wasn't that long ago that someone could get censored, uh, censured on the House floor for having. Uh, called the president a liar during a State of the Union, and now it's kind of uh, it's kind of the norm. So it was an, you know it was an inter- it was a pretty substantial speech and pretty pretty well delivered. I thought you know he's obviously taken a lot of criti- criticism over the years for his age and how he um, st- stammers in places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some of that, but for the most part, uh, it seemed like a, a pretty solid speech to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. Seems and overall seems to be getting fairly solid marks. Um, so let's dig into the cybersecurity aspects here. What was said and, and what was not? Yeah, so he did not directly use the word cyber. Uh, you know, one of the things that was interest, an interesting feature that my Washington Post colleagues did recently was words that that Biden has spoken in speeches that no president had before. And he was the first to use the word cybersecurity. Hmm. But if you go back a little further, um, you know, there were other presidents who have talked about cyber. This time he did not use that phrase. He used it. In, he used it in 2021. He did not talk about cyber in 2022 either. Uh, so from that standpoint, there were some folk who were disappointed uh, on all, all sides of the political spectrum that he didn't go directly at that. The fact of the matter, though, is that, that some of these things that are you know I, I use the phrase cyber adjacent a lot. Data privacy is you know it's kind of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as one of the people I spoke to pointed out. You know, when you're talking about uh, the things that Biden said about not collecting massive amounts of information or not keeping it for very long, that poses a cybersecurity risk when you have that that material uh, because that 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 creates a target for hackers. So that was one example. Obviously, the the kids' privacy was an emphasis, but he also talked about general privacy right. issues. I, I suppose if you wanted to uh, stretch even a little further, you could point to the to the mentions he had of identity theft uh, as it pertained to to COVID nineteen checks, as it uh, and then you know a little bit of China. We're going to stand up for our sovereignty, which was largely a reference to the spy balloon. But you could you know like I said, stretch it and say that was somewhat cybersecurity related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting to me the, the emphasis on protecting the privacy of children. I mean, I suppose when it comes to political rhetoric, that's a, a 
kind of a, it's a layup, you know, uh, protect our kids. And so to come at it from that angle, I guess not surprising, but at the same time, uh, interesting emphasis. It is. I, I think if you, you know, as someone who often has blinders on for cyber only in the news, uh, sometimes I, I, I don't read about a lot of other things that are going on in the world, but, but I have read a, a good amount of, you know, a good amount about and, and talk to people occasionally about, you know, this, this kids online privacy issue. And, and it's been a long running problem where, where Congress has been wanting to revisit it and, and hasn't quite been able to get, get over the finish line on some things. Um, so it's, it's in the, it's in the news a, a, a fair amount. Um, certainly when you, when you hear about the debates about TikTok, uh, you know, one of the big, big levers on that is people worrying about what that is going to do to the minds of children. So, uh, if you're talking about privacy, you know, if you if you're talking about it from the, from the perspective of the right, there's obviously been a lot of, uh, discussion about, uh, about this idea that, that, that pedophiles are widespread and, and that, that, that there's the grooming issue. Uh, if you then you also you also can look at it from the perspective of the, the debate over encryption. You know, one of the things that people have been concerned about uh, is the spread of. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the, the modern terminology: uh, ch- child exploitation materials, so, child right, sexual CSAM. exploitation yeah, materials, child sexual. CSAM, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the right. I, I might have said it wrong, but uh, but that that phrasing uh, is something that that uh, I think people on both sides of the aisle are concerned about. But then when you get into encryption and the, the big social media platforms uh, wanting to, you know, not make a lot of what they're—they want to protect the privacy of their people, and it, it raises this kind of twin privacy debate where you're getting into well, if you have if you have too much encryption, then you you know the privacy the the, the things that are happening to children, uh, you know, the government can't get at it, uh, and then of course you have the 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 other side which is saying if we don't have encryption, then we're you know we're not we're we're opening the door to too much. Uh, government intervention on on everything, not just the 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 the, the children's issue. As I was listening to the speech, and and uh, again, the, you know, the things that he didn't say, the the fact that cyber was not really front and center. I wonder if that's a little bit of a not not necessarily so much as a wake up call, but a a reminder to properly calibrate ourselves when it comes to folks who are in the cyber world. That when it comes to these dinner table conversations that um, perhaps these issues aren't as front as center to most folks as we sometimes think they are. I think that's certainly possible. Um, you know, one of the things I, I was talking to people about earlier this week with the Chinese spy balloon, um, you know, that, that, this, that this thing, however capable it was, has not been able probably to snag the frac- a fraction of the information about U.S. citizens uh, that that Chinese hackers have over the years, and there's a different way. There's a different way that we that people tend to look at cyber versus the way they look at things that are more physically, obviously tangible. But but what's interesting, you know, I I think I was looking at a, a poll that the Chamber of Commerce did not that long ago, where where they were talking to people about digital issues, and and number one was cybersecurity, and number two was privacy. So I hmm. it's it sometimes can be hard to get a, a sense of calibrating what is truly important to people versus what we perceive as important to people versus what we perceive as as understandable uh, and, and and relatable. And I think that's all in the mix of what happened here. You know, one of the people I spoke to for the story said, um, you know, the State of the Union is something of a performance. Hmm. And if you if you're not of the mind that uh, that you're reaching an audience that is very concerned about an issue then you're not going to perform that, that, that song. So uh, we didn't get the cybersecurity song this time. Uh, maybe, maybe that is one of the reasons. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Tim Starks is author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.